When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, look, cartoons. You can't rewrite history. Not one line. they got bubbles coming out of their mouths. You must find out how that door opens. That's one thing you mustn't do. Human beings can't go in. For our sakes, don't. Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? Sounds all right, but I don't think we should take our eyes off those two for oh, a second. Oh, I shouldn't find them. They're far too busy timing their miracle. What miracle? This is what's important. Here comes the drums! Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to rewrite every line of history. No, to watch every story in the Doctor Who televisual canon in random order. My name is randomly chris taylor and i am concretely pete paschal <laughs> every week chris and i make a little history ourselves by discussing a story from the collected works of doctor who and for the past couple of weeks it's uh, been all about history changing history not changing history playing a lot of dress up when you go back in history all those things but before we get into where in history we are today uh, Chris, would you mind bringing the listeners up to speed on our journey so far? I do not mind at all. Previously on Pull to Open, three episodes ago, three stories ago, uh, we were at a story where the Doctor was sacrificed. It was Gallifreyan sacrifice in Ark of mm. Infinity. Two stories ago, we were looking at the evolution uh, of a species and uh, whether whether one should interfere in that evolution as they become humans, uh, whether you could change things in full circle. So you know, it's funny to... the way you, the way you began the pitch to full circle. It almost it actually sounds very close to evolution of the Daleks. Yeah, I just oh, realized. <laughs> there, well, there was a lot of lot of evolution in full circle, and there was a lot of attempted interference in human affairs last week in the time meddler hmm. uh which was uh, not the first hartnell we've done we've done uh, most recently we did we went to marco polo uh, mm. yeah there's plenty pure, of hartnell pure historical we'd done the sensorites back in season one but this was the time meddler and it was of course about guess what meddling in time and establishes the fact that you can which we noted at the time was very much in opposition to uh what we thought was said in the aztecs Mm -hmm. uh, the Hartnell era historical, one of the first historicals, um, and uh, there was there was a lot of discussion about those two different models, the Aztecs versus the Time Meddlers. So, where did the randomizer take us next, Pete? 
I believe it's taken us to season one, serial six, the Aztecs. The mother freaking Aztecs. We we are here. <laughs> we apparently uh, we did a human sacrifice on the uh, on the steps of Pull to Open, and uh, the Sun God rewarded us with exactly the story that we needed to go to. Uh, to continue discussing this this foundational thing in Doctor Who of can you rewrite history? Can you change it? Is it changeable? And I got to say, Pete, I mean, so this was my first time watching the Aztecs. I came oh, wow. out of it with a different sense of what they were actually saying than the, uh, you know, the, the, the myth of um, you can't rewrite history, not one mm. line. The most yes. From the Aztecs. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting to look back on it and compare it with all the things they've done since in terms of rewriting time and going to historical eras and incidents and are they are they really in flux or are they locked? Well, we're going to get to all that great discussion on the Aztecs, but first everyone, we got the pull to open pulse loop coming up. However, if you would like to cut to all that commentary on the Aztecs, you can of course Check the time code in the podcast app. Uh, just check the notes on the podcast you're listening to. It'll be right there, very prominent. Go to this time code to go to the commentary on the Aztecs. If you're on YouTube, just scroll down a bit. It's going to be in the notes there too. But you're right. not going to want to do that. You won't because you're going to miss the pulse loop. We've got an all new emoji challenge. We have results from our latest poll on li- what listeners thought of full circle. That's in poll to open. Hey. And of course, we got a YouTube comment of the week that identifies what might be the best classic Who story to introduce new Who fans to the old series. That was, of course, one of our side trips recently, where we picked five of the best episodes we think new Who fans can start with in the classic era. So you're gonna you're gonna miss all that if you just cut right to the commentary. It's all coming up. It's all coming up. It's like going straight to the center, the center of the tomb, rather than uh, going through all of the interesting uh, parts on the outside. Indiana Jones doesn't go just straight to the center. No, he never does. And you know what? We're not even going to make our listeners carve a pulley out of some wood or something like that. (laughs) We're just going to open up this tomb, this this loop. And we always, of course, want to open it up by, hey, listeners, reminding you. That the best way to support Pull to Open is, of course, to leave a review in the podcast app you are using right now, especially Apple Podcasts. That's a great one. Reviews, uh, certainly those five-star reviews especially, will help make the show visible to more listeners, especially people eager for great discussion of Doctor Who. And really, the only way, the only way to better show your appreciation for this year's podcast is to share Pull to Open with a friend. Just go ahead. Crack open. And honestly, I like the whole thing of like random friend. It's a, we're random a random friend. podcast, randomly going through Doctor Who. Go ahead, fire up your contact list, randomly select someone, and then just fire the podcast over. Hey, thought you might like this. I don't know. Do you like Doctor Who? Go ahead. Check yeah. it out. Just yeah, do it. If you, you have like a lot of friends you've watched through Who with, and you've maybe watched all of the episodes of Who with different friends, maybe just, just use our codex and random.org as we do at the end of the show find a, a story uh, randomly in in your doctor who history i think back to who you watched that story with send them the podcast send them oh. on our random journey with you and hey i just wanted to add to that reviews i know you know let's talk about the word reviews when we talk about you leaving a review you're like whoa whoa hold on there shakespeare 
you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the time. You guys do reviews and like two hour long dissections of stories. I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. But no, you can just do an emoji. An emoji, a single emoji, two emojis, three emojis. If you want to do something clever and creative, you can make it a Doctor Who title. A uh, title of a Doctor Who story, and we will then use that. Uh, it's it's really really hella efficient uh, work here because you're you're reviewing us, you're you're and you're giving us something for our Humoji challenge, which is coming up. And uh, yeah, this is this is the part of the program where I present myself as human sacrifice. Nice, <laughs> and and the listeners appreciate it, and so do the gods. Uh, and right. I think those might be the same thing. Come to think of it, um, yes, <laughs> gods to us, <laughs> all you listening gods out there. Yes, yeah, so at this time for the Humoji Challenge. Oh boy! The contestant today is, of course, Mr. Chris Taylor, the perfect who victim. gets <laughs> the perfect victim for this Humoji Challenge, um, and it's going to be a quick one. Uh, so okay. I'm just going to check with the victim. Are, are you ready, sir? Is is it a heart emoji, a knife emoji, and a drop of blood emoji? Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's not even an eclipse I, emoji, uh, but it's a quick one because it's one emoji, okay. a single emoji. All right, and here it is: human ear. Oh well, then that I'm feeling Cavaldi because that's got to be listen. It's listen. <laughs> Nice. The perfect Boom. continues his almost perfect score. I think these are getting a little easy. I think I think we got to get one that's going to be like ten emojis. Remember that time there was like ten emojis, but most oh of them were cars. Yes, I think that would ended up being gridlock. Was that challenge? I forget. But you've gotten you've basically aced the last three or four. Oh so yeah. So I'm gonna like actually let's put the call out right now. We, what you were saying there about reviews and leaving emojis. Someone do that. Someone get some challenging ones out there so that we can really sacrifice Chris <laughs> in one of these future emoji challenges. That's uh, right. That's well right. done. Well done, sir. That was, you know. Thank you. Was a good I, one. I'd just like to point out, we're not in the history corner yet, but they did, uh, uh, the Aztecs did believe that children crying uh, was a sacrifice to the rain gods. Um, so really? I'm going to say wow. that you, you guys, you listeners making me cry with your Humoji challenges uh, is really a sacrifice to pull to open. And mm. uh, it's one of the best things you can do to to get us uh, in uh, in better sight of the sun god known as Apple uh, and <laughs> various other gods in the canon. Um, but thank you for What's that. What's interesting was... about the uh, the crying kids, I mean, we do, we yeah. do know the Aztecs like their cartoons, so they may have invented emojis, come to think of it. <laughs> Uh, emojis to make you cry. So that one that we, we should say that came from a TikTok comment. Oh, that's right. Yes, it came from one of our TikTok commenters uh, with the handle Anurin. So mm. thank you, Anurin. That was a good one. Uh, that just goes to show, like these emoji challenges, they don't have to be particularly long. A single emoji, like if you have a certainly one word title, could mm. probably do you. That's right. So go That's for right. it. It's funny because I was waiting. I've been waiting for it. Listen, for a while. So I'm like, okay, mm. well, that, that easy answer is gone. So uh, they're only going to be hard ones going forward. 
I'm surprised it took us this long. I mean, we're a podcast. We're constantly talking about listening and listeners, particularly Spotify listeners. Hey, guys on Spotify, you know this. But in case you don't, there are even more ways to interact with the show on Spotify. You can, of course, rate the show and the episode of the show, which is to say pull to open in your mobile app. But in addition to that, every week you get your voice about the story we're talking about. So in the poll feature, we ask you, the listener, what you thought of the story we were talking about. So today, this week, it's the Aztecs. Yeah, uh, that's right. Just just go right there below below our beautiful faces. Just just pull that thing up there, pull it to open, and you'll find a poll uh, on what you think of the Aztecs. Uh, according and you to can give it your your own rating. Now, our rating system has six ratings. We're going to explain all those at the end of the show, and maybe a little bit here. But you can pick one of those for your own. I can do give a write-in rating. Mm. <laughs> you go ahead, guys. Like with, uh, basically, we we've slowly expanded our rating system over time. So yeah. uh, feel free to give uh, give your own write-in rating. Uh, but we have some results from one of our recent podcasts, and it's from Full Circle. That's right. And so, these results don't close. We should say these are the results so far. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, so you can keep voting. Yeah. Uh, you can vote on full circle if you if you think that this result is outrageous. So go for it. And you might, because <laughs> here it's coming right at you. Okay, so the listeners have spoken, uh, the listening gods, and they have decided that full circle is a professor hater with a full half of the vote. Wow, yes. Like roughly 50%. Your, your candidate was professor hater, so congratulations. Um, my candidate was the Lady Cassandra, uh, uh, which is to say it was a paper-thin plot but looked very pretty and uh, well was well-moisturized. Uh, she only got 17% of the vote, roughly the same as the, the Daleks and the Ogrons. So mm. kind of a three-way tie for second place there. Um, so I'm going to say it, listeners. Go go back to the Full Circle podcast, please, and, and uh, vote early and often for Lady Cassandra um, because I, I really think that she'd make a better leader for the world of Full Circle, for the world of Aziris, than Professor Hater. Um, he really just, he's not going to be happy there in his tweet jacket. It's way too warm. Hmm, totally. Too jungle-like. But yeah, the Dalek, the uh, rating we have for a good episode of Doctor Who, did get a showing, so some people really did like Adric's debut here and the kickoff of the E-Space trilogy. Um, but no Viscount Bangers. No one thought it was uh, one of the best of the best, which, you know, sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. There's there's not a lot of uh, full circle fan clubs out there. Uh, mm. I, th- I think there should be fan clubs devoted entirely to the geometric names of Doctor Who stories. Which you know, if you have not been following us recently, we've gone. We went from uh, what was it? Flatline, Arc of Infinity, full circle. The uh, line, the arc, and the circle. That's right. And uh, there are no Doctor Who titles with square in them. Although that that mm. could have come next. Um, Yet. Yes. Is <laughs> <laughs> so there anything coming up? There's the Giggle, the Star Beast, yeah. and Wild Blue Yonder. No, no, no geometry you know, in any of that. You know, I'm a TARDIS fan, so I really want to see an episode or a story titled The Round Things. Ah, uh, yes. yes. In which we finally find what The Round Things are for. <laughs> well, we've seen that. They, they hide the, the brandy. Well, yeah, they, <laughs> they hide various things, but like, what are they all? For? Why so many, Doctor? Uh, mm. Is it just uh, uh, people who have type 40s, kind of like they need lots of closet space, lots of cupboards? 
Uh, maybe lots of brandy. Maybe different spirits. <laughs> you know, um, more, in more club. ways than one. There's a whole club behind that main TARDIS control room. <laughs> it's just the chill room. <laughs> All right. All right. So we are not just on Spotify. We're also on YouTube, which is a great place to leave your emoji title in which to torture me. Uh, you can see us. You can see our Easter eggs in the background. You can see the Pete, uh, appropriate to the Aztecs, has sacrificed a Dalek and uh, stuck its head on a pole there. Uh, I think we have like, the Hartnell poster is back. Yep. Uh, yep. I, I can it's see there. some. I can see some Tardai poking out. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, got, check got it out. the original Tardis crew. We got Susan in there somewhere. Yeah, we yeah. we had our first B roll last week. Our first actual video from the location of the the Time Meddler's uh, ruined Abbey. Um, so go go check that out. That's definitely a very YouTubey kind of thing. And uh, of course, hit that bell icon for notifications for whenever we post something new. Uh, if you like me, can't wait for your Saturday morning to open dose uh, mm-hmm. that, smash that button and I believe we have a YouTube comment from uh, Loris Tyrrell uh, from Game That's of Thrones right. wow it's it's good to, good to hear from him again handle the smoke gunner hmm. uh, so this commenter has something to say about our podcast on the best classic adventures for hmm. new who fans where we picked up the, what we thought were the top five, at least from the uh, stories that we have done so far in the podcast. And Laura says, as someone who grew up with New Who, the Seventh Doctor's era was what got me into Classic Who. I think Ace is the most reminiscent of New Who companions, and the stories are all pretty short, and the pacing is good. I'd recommend Remembrance of the Daleks for anyone wanting to get into the Classic era. Great comment. I really like yeah. this. Uh, I really appreciate it because uh, he he's wrong. He's not wrong. That yeah. remembrance of the Daleks is could would probably have made our list had we done it for the podcast. Yes, or we just haven't done it yet. When we revise that list, as I'm sure we will do, it it, it may make it in. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to get to remembrance of the Daleks honestly because I've been wanting you know, McCoy to have a better showing than than he's had. Well, that's yeah. the thing. We've done so little McCoy. We, mm. I think, we've only done Battlefield. Am I wrong? Yep, yep. you're not wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, so maybe you could say the randomizer is saving the best for last. But yeah, you mm-hmm. know, in, in our podcast on Dalek, we talked about remembrance of the Daleks being the first time you see a you know a vaporized uh, skeleton. Uh, in, uh, as well as the first yeah. time you see it go up the stairs. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. So you know, it's it don't get enough respect, really. Remembrance of the Daleks. So it would be good to see it again and judge whether it, it is indeed a good introduction. Um, you know, it certainly. Who who doesn't like Ace? Uh, who doesn't like a yeah a teen, a teen pyromaniac rebel? Well, that's character. that's the other great thing about this comment. It really highlights Ace, and mm. you know, she was very much. She, he's right again. He's he's exactly right. She, she's mm. Not quite a template for New Who, but it was like, you know, it, it was the late 80s and the old screaming assistant stereotype, yeah. which I, I think that's kind of an, a bit of an erroneous stereotype in the sense that I, I think, you know, some of the older companions, like particularly uh, Sarah Jane and others, yeah. went, went beyond it. But I mean, it was certainly always there. And then Ace completely subverts it. But in addition to that, like Sophie Aldred and the way that she was written and what they, of course, went on to do in the new adventures and stuff, they really peeled back the layers of that type of character. 
Yeah. Um, and it's it's good that a lot of that is on screen too. I mean, I know you haven't seen a lot of the McCoy era, but like the final season where they do stuff like the Curse of Fenric and mm. these other adventures, uh, survival even, sort of you kind of get that three-dimensionality to the character. And uh, that's why I think a lot of people think of her as one of the best companions, if not the best companion of, yeah. of the classic era. And, and certainly one, one of the few non-posh companions um, in <laughs> In, right uh, in her accent, you, you really don't have to travel that far from from Ace to Rose, do you? I mean, she really was preparing yeah. the ground for New Who. Um, but yes, thank you for that comment, Loris. Uh, sorry about how things went down in Westeros. Uh, but yes, you, Loris, and all of you listeners could also listen to us and watch us uh, do our thing on TikTok, our most active social network. Pete, how many how many TikTok followers are we up to right now? Oh my goodness! It's probably the eleven thousand five hundred, eleven eleven five. Eleven thousand five hundred, exactly the number of uh, sacrifices that Aztecs performed per year, uh, according mm-hmm. to some sources uh, in that realm. Uh, thank you, thank wow. you, TikTok users. Yeah, we're, we're not going to sacrifice you if you follow us. On that wasn't that wasn't just dark humor. Yeah, no. <laughs> you've done some no, research. Yeah. Oh, we, oh, we are gonna get deep into human sacrifice, okay. minute, folks. Yes, get ready for that. Get your get your obsidian blades out uh, and follow along with us uh, as we rip out our own hearts. No, um, we we only we would only do that on TikTok uh, because it would mm. make a hella viral uh, short video. Uh, Dude, I want to yeah. get to it, so I'm just gonna <laughs> cut right to hey, boom. You just follow. I'm gonna close out the pulse loop. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and Threads at Pulta Open sixty three. Do that, and now let's do this. We're talking right. about the Aztecs. Wow, I've never seen such sec- self sacrificial behavior on on Pulta Open mm. because, of course, Pete is running directly into the blade, mm-hmm. the Obsidian Blade that we call TLDW. Too it long. is my honor. <laughs> Pete, you are being the perfect victim here, and and as such, I want to say before you start this: is there anything you need? Uh, would Would you like to marry a Gallifreyan girl from the future? Would you? What do you want? What is it? Uh, I who I would like extra time. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that is the one thing that the gods cannot grant, sir. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> When, why would you want extra time? You know, this mm. is this is your moment to join the sun god in the afterlife. It is. Yes. It is. So, so let's let's. That's <laughs> all I want. I want to join the gods. I want to have a, a rabbit hole free. We've been doing all right. I think we're, yes. we've been lulling on ourselves into a false sense of security here with these TLDWs these last few weeks, but it that's might be right. short lived. Because yes. I actually didn't watch this. I watched this not very recently. So I, you know, it was about five or six days ago. I finished part four. So well, I'm hoping I can tap into the race memory that's <laughs> here in North America of, of the Aztecs yes. to, to fully get it out. Well, you know what, Pete? You, you can't rewrite history, not one line, but you can condense it. And we condense it in 30 seconds per Classic Who episodes. The Aztecs is four episodes. So you, sir, have a full two minutes to summarize this Hartnell historical. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. As the sky darkens and the eclipse begins, we have a full two minutes to reconstruct the official pull to open summary of the Aztecs in two minutes, starting now. Okay. The the TARDIS lands in an Aztec tomb 
and Barbara comes out, finds the uh, the the person who was a high priest. Uh, she and Susan sort of explore. They find a door out of the tomb. Susan goes to get Ian and and the doctor, and Barbara is quickly discovered. But they think she's the resurrected uh, high priest. And uh, when Ian and Susan and the doctor come out of the tomb. Uh, they fail to realize that when the door closes, they cannot get back in. So they're cut off from the TARDIS. So, but God, Barbara has been accepted as the reincarnated version of the high priest, essentially a goddess, and they're going to worship her. But uh, she tries to prevent the Aztecs from making human sacrifices because the sacrifice is about to happen and she tells them not to do it. And so the high priest of sacrifice, this guy, Latoxel, he basically starts, who is already suspicious of Barbara being this God, it becomes openly uh, doubtful of her. And he tries to prove that she's not um, really the God. Whereas, and then so her servants, which is Ian, Barbara and uh, Ian, Susan and the doctor, um, you know, all have to sort of try to, manipulate things to to get her to somehow uh, to basically buy time for them to get back to the TARDIS and figure out a way to get into the tomb. So Ian ends up fighting this guy who's uh, Ixta, who's like the commander of the armies, Otlock, who's the high priest there, uh, sort of befriends Barbara, but she can't really, uh, you know, get them change history. The doctor lectures her about changing history. She she still tries, but it doesn't really work. Latoxel and everyone and Ixta work against her, but eventually Ian finds another way into the tomb he helps open it up and right when they're going to sacrifice make the sacrifice out of an eclipse they get back in the tomb because the doctors developed a pulley system to get it open from this thing that Ian pulled out of it and they all go back in the TARDIS and leave <laughs> okay <laughs> alright a very good oh. summary of the first episode of the Aztecs <laughs> <laughs> to which uh you you returned a lot i was uh, i was noticing that there was a, there's a lot of a lot of going back to themes established in the first episode the rewriting one line not rewriting one line uh in episode one there um yeah i realized uh, about a minute in i had to really excise things so i i, <laughs> I really had to make a decision am i going to say anything about Ian and Ixta? Am I going to say mm. anything about Kameka? Well, Am I going to say anything about Otlock going off into the sunset or whatever he does toward the end there? Well, and I, I had trip. to throw virtually all of it out. I, I basically made a call to do say a little bit about Ixta and then just cut to them leaving. Yes, you, you had to cut out what I, what I think is in many ways the beating heart, the beating red heart of the Aztecs. And the thing that most surprised me, the romance between mm. the Doctor and his fiance right. i did not know that the doctor had a fiance did he ever say this to river at any point did he yeah no centuries before yeah. river song uh centuries before rose he, yes. he was flirting in various parts of history and you know we made a comment about that last time in the time meddler yeah with i forget her name edith edith uh, yes who was who was one of the villagers who seems to be a little bit taken with the doctor and here it's mm. it's full on You've got Kameka just really wants him yeah. and essentially proposes to him or <laughs> kind of gets, gets him, him to inadvertently propose to her. By spilling cocoa beans, which, yeah. which uh, is uh, not only used as currency, but also a, uh, a method of proposing someone, which is sort of, given that they use as currency, this is a bit like, 
you know, you're proposing to your date in a restaurant by like just whacking out a bunch of hundred dollar bills and be like, Hey, <laughs> Hey babe, <laughs> you like the look of those plenty more where they came from. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it seems a little basic, but you know what? Yeah. Hey, the real surprise is, and I, I'm still sort of having a hard time absorbing this. The doctor's into it. Like she, yeah. she you know, basically forces him into it, but he's so into it. And he's, and you know what? It's it's the Aztecs. It's season one. William Hartnell has not been ground to death by the job yet. He looks spry. Right. He looks young. He does. And healthy and handsome. And he, he kind of nails that reaction, even though it's a bit overdone, when yeah. suddenly he suddenly realizes what he's done. And it's like, oh, we're going to be married. And he kind of like, there's the zoom in and the audio sting yes. and all that. It's a little too much. But it is like, you know, Hart, Hartnell does great. Like, it's it's a good little, like, what he would, moment? But and also, then, he's like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could do worse. He She's a goes pretty lady. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't totally ditch her in that she she's completely clueless. He kind of clues her into like, you know, this this isn't gonna work, but we still kind of need your help. Mm. And uh, you know, and so he they'll always have Technetilian or whatever <laughs> that is at the the name yeah. of that city oh, yeah. is. We're we're gonna butcher Aztec names throughout this, just just FYI. Uh if there are any Aztec historians listening. Sorry. Yeah. I mean it's it's hard to pronounce proper names. And mm-hmm. I think they do a decent job in the episode itself. They do. I remember so this is interesting. So taking myself back into my personal mm-hmm. time stream, mm-hmm. uh, we did study the Aztecs at school, but the problem was it was in elementary school. Like I remember right. it when we were first taking history, and I think this was in the early this is in the early 80s. And I think they were trying pretty hard in parts of the Western world to not just do your traditional yeah. uh european history essentially right and mm-hmm. so we'd spend a good chunk of time i think it was fifth grade something like that like on the aztecs yeah and you know i learned a lot about the cir- human sacrifice and mm-hmm. uh can say there there are some accuracies here uh at least yeah. to my recollection yeah i know yeah. you've done more research for this particular podcast but it like things like the costumes yeah. that ian and ixta are wearing that's very accurate like mm-hmm. as i i remember learning about like one of the ways the Aztecs were such formidable warriors was that they would wear armor. Whereas like mm-hmm. other tribes in the Mexican heat would just be bare skinned and, you know, just kind of easy pickings. So yeah. Uh, yeah. The costumes, yeah. again, we could go the on and on about the costumes. But. are amazing. And, and one of the best things about the Aztecs, uh, you know, which, which you, you might know, you might've seen as a doctor who fan, having looked into the show's history, you might've seen pictures of the Aztecs without having seen the Aztecs. Uh, well, I'm here to tell you, I'm also here to tell myself of a week ago that, wow, the script really holds up. Mm, I mean, it really holds agreed. up in a modern context, right? So background, of course, this is John Lucarotti, uh, who we first encountered in Marco Polo, uh, doing the, the first historical and making sure that it was not European history, right? And and he's now two for two. His <laughs> second historical, and again, not European history. And he, he'd been on vacation to Mexico. Like, he was really personally fascinated by the Aztecs. And he wrote this actually while Marco Polo was in production. Um, but he nailed it. Like, he nailed not only, you know, a lot of the details, uh, you know, the even like the size of the... Uh, 
uh, the, the sort of the small stone on which people were sacrificed. The fact that it's like coffee table size, hundred percent accurate. Uh, I think Bob's right. costume has been criticized as being anachronistic. Eh, that's fine, but not really Lucarotti's problem. But what Lucarotti's script really does is is amazing. It, it really it doesn't like the, the Aztecs are not like a unified single whole people, right? They they are there is debate. There's there's the debate of knowledge versus superstition. Right, represented by those those two priests, by Ortlock and Toxel, Toloxel, Tolox, <laughs> that dude, dude with the, the mouth thing, <laughs> uh, and the two giant feathers coming out of his shoulders, who's playing extra evil, but sort of like it's one of the interesting aspects of the script. Like he's right, Barbara's mm. a fake, and yeah. and yeah, you know, from his point of view, is perfectly right to poison her. So you've got these sort of knotty, thorny moral issues all over the place, uh, and the Doctor loses. Yeah. It is the first example in, in Doctor Who history of like the show is going to surprise you. Uh, you know, everything everything goes wrong for everyone here, with the arguable exception of Ian, and only because he's pretty damn violent in this. Yeah, yeah. The um, you know, it's funny. You said the Doctor. We we opened it up with t- talking about how the Doctor was spry. I'd say the show itself is very spry at this point. Yes. I mean, this is like season one Doctor Who. It's riding high after the big win of the Daleks. It's now a, you know, it's a phenomenon in Great Britain. Yeah. And it you feel the confidence in the production here. And even mm-hmm. though some of the, like a lot of the studio stuff was, it was a small studio. I think that good chunks of this were shot at the Ealing Studios or yeah. one of their one of their first ones, which is like notoriously small. They yeah. made a lot of use out of whatever space they did. And I, I think at this point, they're, they were sort of starting to spread it around a bit. So I think parts of this yeah, they, might have been shot in the BBC. Main yes, Verity, Verity, Lambert was, was, Verity Lambert was agitating to get it moved to BBC television. Center. She did it for the Aztecs. Another interesting marker point with the Aztecs, you know, you mentioned the Daleks and, and how popular they were, but they were more sort of popular for being popular, if you know what I mean. Like Doctor mm-hmm. Who didn't have as good viewing figures during uh, when, when the Daleks were on screen. Right. Uh, right. The, uh, the first time it cracks the top 20 British TV programs is during the Aztecs. So, oh, wow. That's yeah. interesting. I didn't know that. It's, it's not only riding so it's, high, it's, it's like it's paying off. It's definitely not petering out, in other words. It's not like, oh, yeah. they, the Daleks were great, and now we're just kind of like, whatever. Like, But yeah. they're, they're, people keep tuning in and, and are... And again, with quality scripts like this, you can see why. Mm. Um, you know, this is, this is a very confident script. Uh, like you said, it, it's got... We already talked about a little bit about Platoxel, but man, like, I could go on and on about that performance and that character. It's just yeah. really... Like, John Ringham is the actor and there is the scenery looks great but even though he chews the hell out of it throughout and i mean he, he's just amazing it's like what a memorable performance and just yeah. what an inspired choice to have that makeup stripe across his face which gives yeah. him a bit of a sort of joker-esque feel uh and, and just sort of joker-esque yeah yeah and he also really... in the sense that the joker character is like often pointing out home truths you know that you make and, you uncomfortable and, you know, another actor might have thought, okay, the costume and the makeup's doing the work. No, he gives a very physical performance. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the way he kind of, like, hunches and and is moving kind of, like, almost like a creepy jester type. Again, I keep kind of going back to that. But, yeah. it, like, it, it, it's, it's really just so many good choices about that role. 
and you know the evolution his scenes with barbara are very very good there's a lot of good dialogue between her and plethoxel and her and otlock uh you know those those are kind of like to me the the main uh, the main like you said the beating heart is kind of the the romance and i think you're being obviously a little bit figurative like to me the heart of this is like you know barbara's moral dilemma yeah yeah and her slowly kind of coming away from what i would somewhat i know this sounds a little derisive but it's a bit of an ivory tower perspective of a history teacher that she kind of comes in and thinking like oh as this goddess i can make a couple of decisions at the top and Mm -hmm. possibly like really improve things and it's like good on paper right and Mm -hmm. then uh, the uh, the uh, one of the better conversations is later when ian is talking to her and he's like barbara you don't get it like Plotoxel's not the exception. He's the rule. Yes. Like everyone thinks that way. And so he comes from this more pragmatic standpoint, this sort of, down, you know, I've, I've been around people here yeah, and this is never going to work. You know, you can't do it. And Barbara it, gets a bit drunk with power. Mm. Um, and it's such a good, I can't think of a better, there, there can't be any better story for Barbara. Right. And, and certainly mm. in every outing we've seen for her so far, she has not reached her full potential, but here she is front and center. She, she is a God and, and, yeah. you know, she really takes command of it. Yeah. And the, yeah, you're absolutely right. That those scenes of her with to talk to, to Latoxel with that, yeah. dude, with the bad dude with the Joker. I'm just going to call him Joker from now on with, <laughs> and with Orlock, like the nice guy that right. the, the guy who has all the knowledge, she's manipulating him. You know, in a very Machiavellian way, um, and it's extraordinary. It's it's definitely a case of too much, uh, you know, a, a little of her knowledge, which is like what she has about Aztec history. She's you know a high school teacher who's done segments on it. Like she doesn't fully <laughs> know Aztec history, and here she is in the middle of it. And it's a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. She thinks she can change things, which, by the way, we'll get to whether she can or can't. You know, and, and what if the evil plot has succeeded? Because I think we'll both probably agree that this is the mm. evil plot is hers. Um, right. But yeah, yeah well, the, the, the mental sort of the mental chess between her and, and Latoxel is a is, is really just great to watch. I, I do think her decision to simply take her mask off mm. to him in a sense, like saying essentially like I, I'm a fake. Yeah, but you don't do dare challenge me, or I'll destroy you. That feels like a tactical mistake, mm. and I don't think it's a bad choice for the script because I think she's she thinks that it, it, well, she's, she's first she's reacting mm-hmm. and she's tired of the game, but I also feel like that just made him more determined than ever. Yeah, I mean, take Barbara, her down. I- Barbara's really blundering around in a very 20th century way. And it's kind of interesting when you consider this as a, you know, in the, in the concept of colonial, post-colonial, right? It's actually Barbara who has the colonial attitude here, even though she's trying yeah. to be enlightened and like, let's end human sacrifice. And part of what the doctor is saying, you know, this is why I have a slightly different take on the not one line changing history line. Um, the doctor is actually saying you, you shouldn't, change this like this is mm. a deep part of their culture in fact human sacrifice was a deep, deep part of all mesoamerican culture uh and we can get that in the history corner whenever you like but uh <laughs> but he's right like it, you shouldn't interfere you shouldn't come in as the colonial and think that you know best 
so even though she thinks she's doing the right thing as a humanitarian, uh, she's she's actually being quite blundering. So yeah, I, I love that she makes mis- these mistakes in the script. I think it really works. And, yeah. Before yeah. we get to the corner, I'm, I'm anxious yeah. to get to the corner here for sure. I've definitely got a little bit. I might I might set up a little a uh, little folding chair in your corner uh, <laughs> for a bit there. But right. let's let's talk a little bit about the setup and some of the good choices and some of the uh, some of the questionable ones. So they come to the tomb, and I think they sort of believably all come out of the tomb without realizing that that they can't get back in. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a nice little plot device that, the, you know, the, the, it's just like, well, you just can't do it. It's just design that could only be a, a, mm-hmm. open from the inside. So that's like, oh, my God, like, what are they going to do? Are they gonna, and, you know, they're going to figure out something. But um, separating the TARDIS team from the TARDIS, it's obviously a necessary thing in so many adventures and goes sort of all, all the way to... to to you know the most recent ones like you you think about capaldi right like oxygen is a good example where you know it just happens all the time you just have to because otherwise they have a sanctuary and so they're in real peril Uh, they were doing it a lot in season one though i will say that like (laughs) even from from the first episode yeah we saw it in marco polo the tartus itself gets stolen we saw it in the sensorites right take the The lock yes they (laughs) They take the lock out (laughs) <laughs> yeah, literally just cutting it out like the you know intergalactic vandals. It's uh, hilarious, um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting. But you know what? The the script kind of it it does exactly what a script should do. It's every point you're like, okay, I buy this. Okay, I, yeah. I buy that. You know, Barbara suddenly appearing from out of this tomb that only opens from the inside means that they would naturally think that she's got it. Like that's a that seems a legitimate logical decision. It's not presented as a funny thing at all. And also, yeah. you you're completely distracted from the fact that you know, you're not seeing a lot of Aztec society here, really, but you right, feel right, right. like you are, which is amazing. And one thing you're not thinking of is where's the emperor. Right, exactly. Like, where's Montezuma or whomever? Yeah, Montezuma. Well, depending on various dating controversies about there, there is a dating controversy. You would be glad to know about the Aztecs. If it's in the later, if it's in the like the 1500s, if it's in the later iterations of when the Aztecs might be set, then it would be Montezuma the second, the the one who uh, you know presided over the downfall. Uh, under Cortez. So, but you don't think yeah. about uh, you, you. You're just like, oh, it's natural that like Barbara's facing off against these two priests, and one of them's the knowledge dude, and one of them's the, you know, the tradition dude, and you, like you get it. Yeah, and it just feels natural. You don't think about the power structure other than that. So one thing I just to bring it back to the tomb, I, I think when Ian gets in there mm-hmm. and then comes out again, but he he has the. He's he's got way too much confidence in that strip of material or whatever it is that that tapestry that he sort of strings under the door. Uh, I felt like that was a little like okay, you're 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 seriously not going to prop that up on something like, dude, <laughs> like what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I guess he sort of also might be thinking I can just go back to the garden and they try to right to, if they ever need to get back in again. But that's that's a lot of things on uh, you know your, your complications you're giving yourself by simply not doing that that thing of of the simple like let's just prop it open with something. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I felt that was a, a kind of a blunder. Ian's a bit lunk-headed in this, isn't mm. he? It's it's interesting. Like he's he's really much smarter in other. Uh, and I guess he's smart here in the way that he employs the thumb 
to you know the yeah. Lord, uh, to, well, let's talk about that for a second, because yeah. you're right. Ian here is is a little off. It's like he's more plot device than character mm. in various places. He's sort of put up against Ixta because, again, he's the action guy. Ixta is the general or the commander or whatever. And the the, the first of all, let's let's talk about the nerve pinch or whatever yeah. it is. Like the thumb. <laughs> it's he, very Vulcan. He, yeah, it, it's totally obviously just happened before Star Trek, but it, it is like, what, what the hell was that? Like, you're kind of like, oh, is, is, is that, was that ever a thing that people would have a, a thumb or like the, the, like it was a nerve thing people could pinch and that was some kind of urban legend or I don't know. Like it, it just, feels, it's just so weird and out of nowhere. You know what it feels like? It's like it, when you look at the stage fighting in the Aztecs, which you've got to admit is not really, yeah. not really up to snuff. Uh, you 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 kind of wonder if like the 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 thumb thing, the the nerve pinch thing, was just sort of thrown into stage fighting to kind of be like, you know, okay, if you if you get exhausted from these <laughs> not very uh, convincing moves that you're doing, uh, just just yeah, end the fight with a nerve pinch thing, and you'll believe. Like it feels like it predates Doctor Who, must predate Star Trek uh, as a thing you would just do. If, if a stage fight needed to be brought to an end quickly, uh, without the actors looking like they needed a knockout blow, you know. Yeah, yeah. It feels like one of these things that I think people just thought. I don't know if they really love this, like about fighting, where there there were weak spots mm. on the human body, which there are. I mean, I have no question, but it's like it's the kind of thing where it's usually much more serious than like simply knocking the person. Like if you would say like karate chop someone in the throat, for example, like that's kind of like, Oh yeah, you'd probably kill them like right away if Mm -hmm. with, with enough force, but that's not a thing you just want to casually throw out there. Like I can, I can do unless you know, it's you're literally want to kill a guy. So I Mm -hmm. think there might've been like some thought about that, but it's like, it's you know why would he never use that again certainly later when they're actually fighting like even within this story like i don't uh, it's just a weird random thing they threw in Mm. um to sort of give ian a little bit of one-upness now just then forgetting the nerve pinch for a second like how is ian a science teacher somehow going toe-to-toe with ixta and doing pretty well before he's drugged yeah. Uh, who this guy is a lifelong warrior, and like, how is that even possible? Like, that is, I did I miss some line where like Ian was the captain of his university wrestling team or something? I mean, they, they really the should have thrown in something like that because, in the absence of that, I'd say that this is the only part of the Aztecs that feels very sort of colonial. Like, mm. oh, well, of course, the young, smart, upstanding, clean-cut British man would be able to disarm this this savage uh, by <laughs> many applying some pressure to the neck. You know, it's, it's got that sort of arrogance to it. And, uh, you know, it's not great. And it, which is sort of a shame because the, the rest of the narrative is like, it feels so progressive. And and that actually wants, I, I want to uh, talk about the Holt artist team before we move into the Asia Corner. We should mention Susan. Yeah, uh, Caroline Ford was uh, basically on vacation for half of the Aztecs, <laughs> and you know what? The Aztecs does not suffer because of it. She's Doesn't. basically oh. she's packed off to a seminary um, to to learn Aztec law, 
And uh, the, these are scenes that they sort of inserted into those episodes, so, so she could go off on vacation. And John Lucarotti basically just recycles a little bit of uh, of Marco Polo. You know, last time mm. Susan was with a young woman who was betrothed to another man against her will. This time, it's mm. you know, it's, it's Susan her, yeah. herself. You know, and that's that's the peril that she's in. And it kind of works, and it gives her a, a good speech. Like that's sort of Susan's best moment is like, "No, I, I want to marry who I want to marry." Damn it, um, you know, I get the right. choice. I'm a human being. Uh, so you know, you know, it it's funny. Every time yeah. we go to a Hartnell episode, I feel like someone's sick or on vacation. <laughs> for like, <laughs> really, it, I think if you actually inventoried the Hartnell episodes, it's probably like half of them yep. have have notable absences or you know cutscenes like these. Um, it's funny just how they made it back then, you know, they're doing it every single week and you know, the, the time between when the actors even got the script and when they were actually producing it and the time it was broadcast was really, really, really short Yeah, uh, yeah. to the I point mean, where they were what? even still, still fixing certain episodes when the, the previous one was airing. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, and I guess it's a legacy of the fact they didn't think of them as discrete stories, right? They were just uh episode by episode it was an episode of the week thing like there was no such thing as the aztecs there was just right. differently named episodes uh but if you were doing it today and if you were thinking as the the aztecs then you might you know for example you might just drop off a companion you know on a different right. planet before they go there right invent some reason oh they're stuck in the tardis oh that you know yeah you see that's like um console. that's like in kinda where yeah. nissa is just having a nap yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throughout the episode exactly. it's like okay we're just gonna do Tegan and Adric those are the only yep. companions we need in this one yep that works that was old school uh, alright so yeah that's that's in Barbara and Susan so is it time is it time to enter the corner let us enter the pull to open history corner with Chris Taylor right. so I was uh, you know as, as a uh, certified historian don't try this at home Actually, do try this at home, but just be careful about your sources. Um, I, I was concerned about the the image presented in the Aztecs because you know, not not knowing much about the Aztecs beyond the fact that they were uh, annihilated by Cortez, you know, the and the conquistadors, one of the earliest and most uh, horrific examples of European colonization of the Americas. I, I was suspicious because I'm like, well, how do we know that the Aztecs were into human sacrifice? But hmm. maybe this was just the Spanish justifying their conquest after the fact. Um, well, as it turns out, uh, not only do we have, have we discovered in, in uh, 2015, researchers in uh, Mexico City excavated um, a, 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 tower, a new section of a tower that we know existed uh, in the Aztec capital that was underneath Mexico City Tower of Skulls uh, mm. we now have more than 600 surviving examples of Aztec uh, skulls um, and we also have uh, children's skulls we have examples of child sacrifice one interesting wow. thing that we, we see in the, in the bodies of these children that were recovered is that they they were in pain, man. They were in pain anyway. Mm. They they had abscesses in their teeth. They had, you know, broken bones and things. They they were kind of basically made to cry. They were they were not happy children, um, you know, whether whether oh, by, by accident or design. And that was, you know, 
part of why they, they were sacrificed to the, the rain god uh, mm-hmm. and made to cry as much as possible during the ceremony. So Lucarotti was really <laughs> sanitizing a lot of these right. cemetery. So, you know, we, we, it's a little bit close to the bone that they get <laughs> as close to the bone, if, if you will, in, in uh, right. the Aztecs and Doctor Who. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was brutal. But you've got it was to- actually a, a short documentary. I, I saw the I watched this on the DVD, mm. and there's a short documentary. I I I it, it looks like it was made for something else entirely, uh, and that just is sort of like the Cliff's Notes version of the Aztecs and Cortez. And but they yeah. describe Cortez being sort of taken to Montezuma's temple, mm. uh, or asking to go in and see you know what what it's like, and with some maybe some plans to convert them to Christianity and then just being utterly horrified by just how much blood and like, it's just all the walls are like stained red in sort of the main chamber or whatever, because of just the constant, uh, you know, sacrifices one after the other. And and he and his conquistadors also also did experience uh, human cannibalism, which, which was part, a, a smaller part, but still a part of, of the culture uh, at the time, and and you know, we, we've been lots of historical debates about why was this the case, but mm-hmm. there is no doubt that the Aztecs performed thousands of human sacrifices, uh, you know, and it's it was probably exaggerated not just by the Spanish but also by the Aztecs themselves as a way mm-hmm. of holding their enemies at bay. Because uh, as you know, if you dug into it, Cortez would not have succeeded without allies. He had native allies who also hated the Aztecs and right. wanted to get rid of them. So he had a ready-made mercenary army. Um, yeah, so... But, yeah, but well, it's like I, like I uh, alluded yeah. to earlier, like they were... The Aztecs themselves were conquerors. You know, they, they, were. they were formidable warriors and they, you know, like ousted everyone else in their immediate sphere of influence or subjugated yeah. them. So, And they're, they're roughly yeah. uh, contemporaneous with the Tudors, uh, which is interesting, you know, r- roughly for about the same time uh, as the mm. Tudors were on the throne of England, uh, you know, the Aztecs were, were present in, in Mesoamerica. I mean, it's, you know, it, they're much more new uh, and up to date than you might think. Unless yeah. um, you think this is all just extraneous historical detail, it's all going to come around when we talk about, well, what if the evil plot had succeeded, by the way, everyone, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so human sacrifice, look, they, they, basically they had a different perspective and their perspective was that we all carry little, little bits of the sun around inside us, and it's called the heart. Uh, and it was very much part of their culture and part of their religion and part of their uh, cultural history that you did occasionally perform ritual human sacrifices as other cultures have done in the past mm-hmm. as we know from the bible you know uh you know yeah, certainly culture judeo-christian culture is not immune to human sacrifice it's just a thing and you do it to keep the universe in balance you do it not just to appease the gods but just because that's how things were done and the aztecs had these legends uh, which, uh, okay, I'm going to say the word penis and pull, pull, pull to open for the first time, <laughs> and hopefully the last, because that is uh, Quetzalcoatl, the um, the uh, the god that Cortez was thought to be, uh, literally brought humanity forth or gave life to human beings um, via a wound in his penis. 
uh, by the Yee. blood from his penis. So okay, th- there was so much blood, <laughs> so much. I, mean, blood I was fine with the penis, blood. the word. <laughs> yes. Now, now <laughs> I'm a little like, not okay with it. But anyway, well, go on. you know, if you're not okay, though, you'll really not be okay with an excellent novel by Orson Scott Card, who is an asshole for other reasons. But he wrote an excellent novel called. Um, uh, the redemption of Christopher Columbus, in which they're try these time travelers are trying to get the Aztecs to, uh, you know, increase their civilization so that they can go and invade Europe instead of the other way around. Uh, and and one of the time travelers has to appear to the Aztecs with like uh, metal studs in his penis, and then he like withdraws each one of them, blesses them with the blood. And I was at the time reading that I was like, "Hang on a minute, Orson Scott Card, <laughs> what are you talking about?" But no, it's absolutely real. Like they were all about blood and wounds and and the the cleansing power of blood. And when you're tearing the heart out of a human being, as they did with the obsidian blades, we know exactly how they did it. They came up through the ab- abdomen, cut up through the the chest cavity, wow. ripped out the heart. And it was like, you, and then you you bring that bit of the heart back to the sun. You set it on fire, and the smoke goes up to the sun. Uh, now that now that's reminding me of Temple of Doom, although Mullah Ram's <laughs> method was a little different from what you were talking about. But yes, I, I, I honestly don't remember that. But but yes, um, yes. Yeah, you don't so remember Ram and no. Temple of Doom reaching into the guy's chest, pulling out the heart, and it exploding it's, into flames? It's been a, since about anyway. 1985 since I saw the Temple of Doom. But I may may have ignored that bit for probably for good reason. But yeah, so it was a thing, and um, it was it was so inherent to Aztec culture that the Aztec priests continued to do it even after the Spanish conquest. And you have lots of these, you know, these mm. uh, Spanish friars going over and saying, "Hey." maybe chill it with the killing people you know <laughs> a little hypocritical of the spanish to say that but nonetheless um, right and they were like no this is this is us this is part of our culture look it's on cartoons on our temples you know we just do this it's what we believe mm, yeah getting um in sort of vibes of the lottery the short story yes. you know what i mean like in terms of what well and also like what barbo is trying to do and sort of recognizing how incorrect just mm. generally this is and that it is something that is correctable uh, again on paper easily in practice nearly impossible mm. and you know Tlatoxel they're representing that uh the tradition the yeah. the need for that to go forward uh because it would uh, otherwise threaten his entire worldview and way of life yeah, I, I almost wanted him to do the song "Tradition" from Fiddle on the Roof. Um, mm. That would have been a, an excellent explanation of his character and a way to make him sort of sympathetic. Um, but yeah, so you know, it's 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 really accurate. I love that Lucarotti put in the script the bit where the victim, you know, Barbara basically saves the first victim, and the victim's like, right. "No, screw Did you." Did not like that. I no, I'm supposed to die. I'm supposed to, this is supposed to be a glorious death. By the way. Uh, most most of the sacrifices were people that they captured um, from, mm. from opposing cities in this weird thing called the Flower War, which is basically ritual combat in which they agreed to just sort of go to war, but like don't kill anyone, just take each other as prisoners, and then you can go off and like sacrifice some of them. Uh, wow! You, uh, yeah, right. Uh, I'm so, just going to pull out yet another reference that sounds like you know this is like taste of armageddon type star trek <laughs> vibes there where it's like yeah we don't that the war isn't the point it's more like the 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 suffering yep 
the, the suffering and the ritual sacrifice is the point and it sort of enhances the power of the state and it, mm-hmm. you know, it ritualizes the gods and you feel that everything is in order and everything is in balance. But you also, you know, as, as they point out in the Aztecs, you like, if you're that victim, you are venerated. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are the yeah. perfect victim. You get whatever you want. And it's, it's quite an honor. And by the way, if you refused to be a sacrificial victim, they did exactly the same thing to you, only they were being mean to you while they did it, instead of right. venerating you. They like shouted insults at you as they cut your chest cavity open. So you might as well go with the flow. <laughs> you might as well get the veneration. You're going to die anyway. Talk about societal pressure. Damn. Right? <laughs> exactly. Whoa, peer pressure. <laughs> Not only are we going to cut your heart out with the Blade of Obsidian, which is sharper than anything uh, on Earth, uh, you know, that, that occurs naturally, uh, we're also going to taunt you. <laughs> Man, 15th century cancel culture was brutal. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We're, All right. We're going to tell the meanest jokes and post memes about you. Well, that was a robust history corner. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about the changing history corner a little bit? Yeah. So changing history. Yeah. I, mm. I really think that this is, that was what the doctor was saying. Cause of course they are, they're interfering in history all the time. Like, you right. know, uh, Kamika didn't have a fiance before the doctor came along. <laughs> uh, unless you believe like there was someone else she met in that garden at that time. And she, persuaded him to spill cocoa beans and like no i don't i don't believe in that sort of fatalistic nonsense no they're, they're going around changing history what the doctor is saying it is inadvisable to change even yes. a single line of history exactly way, so this matches up with the time meddler yeah exactly there's less here about the science of not changing history if you will mm-hmm. i mean you know science in quotes uh then you might remember and sort of it, it in other words, I think a lot of people might have back read into the Aztecs, including me, mm. uh, a, a bit more about like, oh, this is history simply can't be changed. And there's we we know this didn't happen because of X or Y and, and sort of giving the impression that um, time is immutable once it's sort of mm-hmm. in place. And um, but no, no, you're right. You're dead on. It's it's clear that the what Hartnell's if, if that were the case. Hartnell wouldn't be imploring Barbara not to do it because yep. she wouldn't be able to do it anyway. Exactly. So clearly she can, like she mm-hmm. physically can, she can physically change history if she really tries. Uh, it's just really, really inadvisable. Like just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, they, and they do have that sort of uh, scene at the end where the doctor tries to comfort her when she realizes that basically he was right. And he's like, uh, oh, it's okay. And he try- he has the the sort of the most bland comfort, uh, mm. which is like, oh, well, you you kind of helped one you helped one man, by which I think he means right. Ortlark, right? Yeah, uh, Ortlark, the, the the priest of knowledge, who's basically just been driven into self exile because yeah. he can't stand this nonsense that's going on around him. How did she help him? How was that helping? Yeah. It's too bad he he doesn't really have a memorable moment. Uh, mm-hmm. He does he does help them by essentially giving his possessions to I think Kameka to bribe someone to make sure they could rescue Susan. I think that's All sort right. of what happens, and that's good. But it's he doesn't it's not very visceral, right? He just kind of like hands this thing over and leaves. Yeah, you kind of want a better moment with Otlock. It's 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 yeah. kind of too bad that he he never quite you know like. 
you don't you don't see him go off in the sunset. You don't sort of feel good about what's happened to him. You just sort of get a little bit of comfort from the doctor to Barbara. But again, it's pretty cold comfort at that point. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame, but it sort of re- 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 rewards repeat watching. I think the Aztecs does. Like you, you know, you go back and you see the subtlety of moments like that. The way that Ortlock, uh, Keith Keith Pyatt, really a very good Ortlock, and he kind of just brings this sort of brokenness to that scene. Mm. I think of like, oh yeah, I can't. Like I've been, and it's it's really Barbara's manipulation that's done it. Um, so like she's yeah. really done worse, you know. The, the doctor's comfort is no comfort at all, and I, I think that's sort of the the Lucarotti's intention here. Uh, really, really subtly good script in a lot of ways, like that. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of like if Otlog doesn't have some massive influential change in history you, again. I think you, you can get philosophical with it and uh, tend to agree with the doctor and the fact that Otlock, if he's changed. It he kind of I, I might be overreading here, but it's a little bit echoey of the final lines in the Doctor Falls, where Capaldi is talking about I'm doing this because it's right, and yes, everyone's kind of going to die anyway, but mm. this is the right thing to do. And if if that has happened to Otlock on some level, even if he doesn't, you know, again, like maybe you you might be feel like oh he should be able to like write his memoirs or something. Maybe that has some influence on this. No, like he's just a changed man and that's enough, you know? And again, it's, it's, it's a bit of maybe a bit of an overread in terms of the philosophy, but I think, I think that's kind of what they're, they're getting at here. And like that, that can still be a, a triumph. Uh, in, even though it's just a minor sort of epiphany on one well, person. Uh, well, big finish. If you're listening, we'd, we'd love to have the, the further adventures of Ortlock uh, in which he just sort of goes out into the wilderness and kind, kind of has a nice time. He's like, hey, <laughs> this is a pretty cool, cool uh, cabin I've, I've just built out here in the woods. Uh, kind of glad that I left the city. That human sacrifice was getting a bit weird. Um, and then that's it. He just kind of chills out three episodes yeah. of him fishing. You know, and maybe he fishes up Adric's bot. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's like, didn't the ship crash there in hey, Mexico? Like, yes. I don't know. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, the high priest of knowledge. And then he's possessed by the spirit of Adric. Okay. Love there this. There it is. There's your big finish. Call your agent. Uh, yeah, love it. Ortlock and Adric, the, <laughs> the team up you never thought you wanted. So you mentioned the moment where they're sort of back in the tomb and he's comforting Barbara. And then there's that little, almost it's not quite a coda, but the sort of final bit where he seems to leave the pulley for a second mm. and then comes back and gets it. Um, because I think it's, it's sort of like not huge or anything, but it is that sort of final little punctuation mark, that final little bit of frosting right. on the plot of, changing history versus not changing history and like being responsible about it um yeah. i mean it's kind of good the, not epic but good it's not epic but good it's a nice touch of like the doctor deciding he, he shouldn't leave a wheel for the aztecs because they didn't invent one now uh, i don't or archaeologists rather like you know would probably more uh, yeah, confuse yeah. future people like wait a minute mm. That's right. Yeah, you got to think that the uh, the the doctor, as he got older and and into more incarnations, was a lot more slapdash about leaving stuff all over the place, um, <laughs> especially his yeah. TARDIS. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, he he really stopped just cleaning up after himself after a while. Just got 
the companions to do it. I don't know. I feel like there's been Doctor Ephemera scattered throughout history. Um, but yeah, just yeah. one more thought on the the changing time thing. Like this is, it's really interesting, isn't it? That the only we we sort of think of the Aztecs as introducing the concept of the fixed point in time, as it were. But that's really more of a new who thing, mm. right? Yeah, uh, it is. When do we hear about? Is it fires of Pompeii? Is it before that? No, yeah, that sounds about right. I think mm. it's Fire of Pompeii. It might be. It might be before that. If there is, uh, listeners, let us know. Yeah, what, what it is. It, it is interesting. Of course, Fires of Pompeii ends with that that message of just save one one family, right? The Capaldi family, right. save someone. Yeah, yeah. So it it does harken back to the Aztecs in interesting ways. But it it is new who that says you can't rewrite this particular history. Not one line. It's not old. Right. And that fighting time itself, which, you know, echoes all the way back to the waters of Mars, which we've done Mm -hmm. for the podcast. So that's that's a good sort of randomizer connection. In fact, why don't we go right to that randomizer connection by answering that very question, which is, of course, is the first question of the four questions to Doomsday. Four questions to Doomsday were, of course, asked by all Aztec priests. Uh, of their charges and seminaries. No, that was about the four, the four sons, the five sons. Anyway, hmm. Yes. Well, God of the randomizer. <laughs> what era was that? Uh, but that's what we have to talk about, which yep. is, of course, the first question: Why did the randomizer take us here? Oh my goodness! I mean, yeah, moot. We've dealt with it. It's God. My yeah. God, we really uh, it took us from the time meddler to the Aztecs. It took us exactly where we needed to go. Exactly where we were talking about going. It took us from old Hartnell to young Hartnell. And it's quite heartbreaking seeing his sort of degeneration, as it were. Uh, well, I thought he was still between the two, spry enough in the time meddler with his comedic moments. He's pretty spry, um, but towards the end of Hartnell, you're kind of like you're kind of like willing him to say the line, like go on, mm. go on with it. You can get through this line. You can remember this line. I know you can. You've got it in you. And he just, you know, he's got a bit more flop sweat in front of the TV cameras, and you just sort of yeah. by the end of Hartnell, it kind of tips over. You start to feel sad. Oh, certainly. Like we've done the smugglers and the Tenth uh, Planet for the podcast, yeah. so we've definitely seen sort of end of the era Hartnell and you're you're yeah. dead on. He's he's very tired and but here you you can see and, his doctor in full, full force. Mm. Uh, so it's nice that the randomizer sort of leave if we're leaving the Hartnell era, which we don't even know yet, uh, but sort of leave us on a on a nicer note of like, you know, young uh, lead role, lead actor William Hartnell, who is believable as a as a sort of romantic uh, lead with with Kamika and has yeah. that joie de vivre. I mean, when we're talking about the time meddler, we even talking about the TARDIS team and yep. talking about Stephen and Vicky vis-a-vis the original team. And here we are. This is yep. <laughs> like, boom, let's see the original. Compare I love this. Definitely yeah. one of my favorite TARDIS teams, by the way. Like uh, the original, it's it's hard. It's really hard to beat uh, this cast. Yeah, possibly with the exception of Susan, who was just, you know, always kind of given short shrift and... You know, I, I think we sort of talked a little about this a lot with the sensorites that, you know, that, that chronologically the next story after this, uh, where she just doesn't come out of that looking very good. Yeah, I think here she's a little muted, clearly, because she's separated from them. But when she can interact with the cast, like in the first episode and the last, episode, particularly the first episode when she's just in the tomb with Barbara a little bit, like mm. she brings that that energy, right? She's obviously the young, the, the young teenager 
um, curious, super duper curious. And the, when they can lean into that and they're not trying to do something like with her, like rebelliousness in the sense, right. So she's just kind of off somewhere like here. Uh, I think it really works. And I think in what we've done so far, I think Marco Polo and edge of destruction, sorry, not edge of destruction. What's we'll the planet of giants. That's the other one. Yeah. Yep. Um, tend to show her in a better light. Yeah. Um, the last thing I would say about the randomizer connection was where I was going uh, earlier about just sort of the waters of Mars coming, like, you know, essentially like this is the first taste of explicitly talking about changing history. And then the waters of Mars, which of course we've also done for the podcast um, is really the culmination of that, that whole fixed point in time yeah. point of, you know, point of view on time travel and Waters of Mars is great. I give it, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's a banger. It's it's an amazing episode. Um, but it does it does get a little weird <laughs> with with the time uh, the time changing and and how that's supposed to go and what it the time responsibility is. Yeah, uh, with regard to it. yeah. And you who did did get a little weird there. It's it's interesting. But yeah, the, on on that note, I think there's also a connection you can draw to two stories ago to the time uh, to a uh, full circle. Where basically hmm. what the TARDIS team, what the Doctor learns is you shouldn't interfere with this evolution that's going on in this planet. Right. It just, like, you're, you're trying to hold back the uh, the swamp creatures. Well, you, you shouldn't because they've become the crew. Like, it just, just let history take its course. Mm. Uh, which is exactly the, the lesson that we get from the Aztecs. Well, so many lessons, so many lessons here in the Aztecs, uh, and certainly some for Barbara. And we're going to yep. get right on that in the second question, which is, what if the evil plot had succeeded? Yeah, well, so, of course, everyone we see as evil in the story does succeed. Uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the practice of human sacrifice continues. Uh, yep. Dude, it looks like the Joker. Uh, toxels on top. <laughs> wow now there's a big finish uh title uh to, to on top. <laughs> it's it's the charles in charge of the big finish range um yeah so so you've got to say that the evil plot is barbara's because she doesn't know what she's doing and she's trying right. to rewrite history and if it had to, so her thing is you know again this sort of very kind of paternalistic uh, colonial kind of concept of like well if you savages just clean yourselves up and stop sacrificing humans then when Cortez <laughs> gets here he'll recognize you as proper you know proper people and you won't, he won't wipe you out and uh, no definitely a bad look but yeah. again I have to say it again she's, I don't think she's wrong uh, in that this is the thing if, it, let's think about if that actually works right this is if her evil plot succeeds Somehow she sort of figures out politically how to either deal with Platoxel. By the way, it's like when he tries to poison her, why doesn't she just destroy him right then? It feels like that's a big crime, regardless of whether she's a god or not. So say maybe that occurs to her. This is sort of how it could happen. Platoxel is executed. She then uses whatever knowledge and advice from Ian and whoever to run a more of a grassroots campaign against human sacrifice. It takes a while, but it works. And then maybe she leaves, maybe she doesn't, but the Spaniards show up and now they're they're The human sacrifice is gone. You know, in other right. words, like it's basically like, Oh, so now they presumably 
again, this is sort of presumption on presumption on presumption, but say they don't destroy the Aztecs and instead form some kind of alliance. Right. And because of what we talked about in terms of the influence and, and uh, just military might of the Aztec empire, like does mm-hmm. that then become the foundation of Western civilization? Are they more formidable than even other colonial powers that come to North America? Is Would that be possible that, Mm. Western society becomes more of like this Spanish Aztec alliance as a Quite foundation. Quite possible. Quite possible. And and certainly an alliance is not out of the question. You know, of course, the Aztecs did venerate Cortez, uh, thought that he was Quetzalcoatl, uh, a snake god, uh, appropriately enough, since mm. he did turn out to be a snake. But uh, but yeah, you know, of course, the, and the Spanish wanted gold, and and the Aztecs could supply them with gold because they didn't right. care about gold. Uh, one of the, my favorite parts of this research was learning that the Aztecs literally called gold sun shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was like just nasty stuff to them. Just, they they weren't into it. Just a so, worthless metal. Exactly. So if, uh. if they just if they just ha- realized that they could make a lot of money out of the Spanish uh, by selling this this worthless literally shit, uh, you know, they they that could have formed a very uh, very profitable alliance. However, I'm going to say that that's probably not going to happen because Cortez was already allied with the other uh, native tribes before he got there, and they had been fighting for. Uh, according to some accounts centuries with the aztecs like they hated these guys and mm. so they were it's almost like cortez was being manipulated uh, by by his uh, mercenaries who way outnumbered him um to, interesting to, to I wonder if that's that's kind of is that like a controversial take was was cortez mm. the puppet Yes. <laughs> of these other in tribes. Sense, in a sense, yeah. yes. I mean, of course, you know, the, the Spanish end up on top kind of almost accidentally, uh, in, in part because they bring all, over all their interesting European diseases. Um, yep. So, yeah, you know, Barbara, you're really not going to change history here. First of all, you're not going to extract human sacrifice um, from from uh, Aztec culture, from Mesoamerican culture, you're not going to do it. The Spanish couldn't do it with by force. You're not going to do it by being nice, <laughs> mm. you know, relying on your librarian, dude. Uh, like, yeah, just not not going to happen. I feel like history here, you know, unless you do what I was talking about in that, in that great science fiction book, The Redemption of Christopher Columbus, unless you are like committed to the bit and you're like, right. I'm a god. Here's what you got to do. You got to invade Europe. Right. Let's, let's <laughs> well, that's committed to the bit. Wow. Yes. <laughs> By 1492, I want you on ships going to Spain. You know? Wow. Uh, you could. Well, actually, it's funny. Okay. So we actually forgot, or let's talk about it now. We didn't yeah. talk about the dating controversy. Yes. <laughs> and in terms of when is this story exactly supposed to be? Because if you're, if they do, that that's a really intriguing possibility. I love alternate history. So the whole idea mm. of either like a Spanish Aztec alliance or some kind of barber-driven inadvertently invasion mm. of Europe by the Aztecs, that those would be great. Like I'd love to right. see sort of parallel Earth where this happens. Um, but it's a big question on when it happens. So mm. Barbara says that Yataxa, that the stuff... Uh, on the priest in the tomb is from the early Aztec period. And she estimates, I think something like 1430 or something like that was roughly when that person would have lived. Mm. Um, So then 
a lot of people thought, okay, maybe it's 1430 or a little bit after 1450 or something. Um, but the, the, there's other issues with that. Uh, and I think it, it's basically, uh, it has, obviously it's, it has to be before the Spaniards come. Right. Um, but there, there's uh, basically a school of thought that suggests maybe it's actually in the early 1500s, right? Mm. Which would be post-Columbus, but but pre uh, pre the arrival of any of the conquistadors. Yeah, so I think the A History Guides printed at about 1507. Right. Um, and I don't know, like, I, d- does it matter? <laughs> I feel like... Well, it uh, does. Kind of, if it is 1507, then you do have to ask yourself the question, where the hell is Montezuma? Like, is he just... Mm being really struck down with uh, Montezuma's revenge himself. Like he's just, that's why he's off screen. He's been eating too many avocados and tomatoes. Uh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to the Aztecs for avocados and tomatoes, uh, which form about 50% of my diet. So thank you very much. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that's the dating controversy. Um, you know, it's, I, I, I love, uh, all aspects of this, but one aspect of the, the possible alternate history of the, what if the evil plot succeeded here is like, if Barbara does decide, like the only way she can do this is invade Europe first. Like she gets really maniacally <laughs> into it. I love the idea that the TARDIS team is going to like peace out, leave Barbara there, like do, do what you will. Like she, she becomes the first TARDIS companion ejected because she, you know, she got to, uh, too maniacal. Uh, oh, she, yeah, man. Yeah. She got too into it. She got too c- close to the flame. That's right. So what happens when you take a history teacher back in time? So the dating controversy may factor in <laughs> our third question, <laughs> which of course is, where is the Clara Splinter? Hey. Clara Oswald, Oswald, of course, splintered in time. Uh, at the end of the name of the Doctor, she is somewhere in every single Doctor Who story. Where is she in the Aztecs? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Did you mo- did you notice the moment in the Aztecs that was taken and used for the name of the Doctor? Uh, where I didn't. the Doctor sort of no, it's it's in there. Like I think episode two, maybe thereabouts. You know the bit where he goes into he's about to enter his time forty Tardis, and uh, in the beginning of the name of the Doctor. And and Clara's is like, no, don't take that one. Take this one. It's, it's busted. But that moment where he turns around, he's like, yes, what is it? Um, that That is taken from, like, the, his actual character was pulled out of the background of a scene in the Aztecs. So mm. that is literally the, the William Hartnell that we're seeing there in, in that Clara scene. But where nice. is she in, in uh, Mexico uh, <laughs> itself? Where, well, you know, I'm going to well, say that because all of this, like, as I mentioned, the Aztecs really sanitized how bad the human sacrifice was and like the rivers of blood coming off the pyramids and, and right. the, the beating heart and all of this stuff. I'm going to say that Clara actually shows up a few years earlier, does the whole Barbara thing herself, which is kind of why they're all so ready for it. Uh, and, and like, oh, wow. Just, gets them to chill out a little bit on the human sacrifice. Like just make, don't make it so bloody. Like, just, <laughs> or at least have a big army of like people with cleansers yeah. and like mops and stuff. <laughs> exactly. Just after you do it, like guys go ahead and sacrifice, but come on, like get a cleaning crew here. 
yeah, I'm going to introduce you to the concept of sanitation. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is going to be great work. You know, the, the Aztecs were great uh, communitarian workers. Like, they basically had a communist system. So, like, you know, they could get workers from anywhere for any reason. Uh, there, were, there were also a lot of slaves from, you know, the, the wars of the flowers. Um, so, yeah, you could absolutely do that. So, yeah, so maybe she's, like, saying, hey, let's cool it on the crying children as well, mm. by the way. But it's called it on the child sacrifice because she would have to do all this to prevent the doctor's heart from being like hearts from being uh, turned here for from the doctor sort of going in the barber direction of like oh crap there are crying children now like we literally know right, the right. doctor cannot resist a crying child you know we know well, that from the beast below so it's kryptonite yeah so that's I'm calling it Clara did the barber act she was a resurrected priestess years earlier. Came, comes out of the tomb, gets them to just tone it yeah. down just in time for the doctor's yeah. visit. Um, either that or she's keeping Montezuma distracted from this okay. entire story. Oh, there so you go. They're, they're vacationing somewhere. <laughs> yes. So speaking of people <laughs> taking breaks, basically Montezuma <laughs> took a break from history. I like that. That yeah. could work. The other thing I thought of was with the dating controversy. So mm. with it being whether 1450 or 1507 or whatever. Um, by the way, one of the things that doesn't align properly with the 1430, 50 date is the, uh, the eclipse, the eclipse. There's mm. apparently an eclipse in Mexico towards the end of the 15th century. Ah. I think. Um, so maybe that's another reason why it should be there. So if we want to set this in either the early 16th or late 15th, I think what Clara needs to be is a contemporary of Yataxa. And essentially be her, it's a him, I guess, his fashion mm. advisor. And that's like, no, 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 no. You've got to wear stuff from the early period only. Yeah. And because all this new stuff is just lame and it's not befitting of a person of your status. So that when he's buried, presumably in, you know, 15, 1490 or something, that the, um, uh, the, the they just have you just have all, all this old stuff, so Barbara can't place right. the date. Yes. So that's how that works. And and Clara can also put your taxel on a diet, like just to make sure that his his bangle will fit uh, will fit uh, 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 Barbara when she comes along, right? Because there you that's go. the main reason yeah. why she's identified as the resurrection. It's this particular. It's a snake bangle, right? It's some sort of snake that wraps around her arm. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a little she's, precursor she's, for the Mara there. It seems yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So she's putting your taxel on a on a avocado only diet, uh, just to uh, make sure that he that Barbara will fit into <laughs> his jewelry. <laughs> Many years hence. <laughs> works. It works. Mm. All right, all. We've come to it. We've come to the final question, the ultimate question, the only question that matters for the Aztecs. What did we think of this story? The pull to open rating system, of course, has six ratings. There's the Dalek, which we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which we give to a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who. And Professor Hader, which we give to a not-so-great episode. But hey, at least we learned something. Maybe they tried something. Hmm. The Viscount Banger, which is what we reserve for the best of the best. The fixed point in time, which <laughs> is we're only on the fifth one, by the way, guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, the fifth, the fixed point in time, which is a story that we can't rate. We simply it usually for reasons of nostalgia, but sometimes for other reasons, it is something 
that exists outside our rating system. And finally, the Lady Cassandra, the Doctor Who story that is better thought of as wallpaper. Just turn down the volume, put it in the background, and sure, it looks pretty, but you probably don't want to actually watch it. Yes, <laughs> just just moisturize it. Don't watch it. Um, well, you know what? Um, it's it's pretty clear that we both like this. Um, mm-hmm. And I think um, the the only question is... Uh, is is it a Dalek or is it a Viscount Banger? Um, yeah, you, that is the only you're, question. You're in that same, you're in that same realm. I'm um, I'm in yeah the pull to open Schrodinger's box here of which is it? I'm almost reluctant to open it because although I'm tempted to give it a Viscount Banger, mm-hmm. I think this is just a really good Dalek. I'd even give it like an Emperor Dalek status. It's a really really good episode of Doctor Who. I I can't say I was completely blown away by it mm. or if it's really, really epic or has a certain layer to it that is just oh so awesome. No, this is just really, really good Doctor Who. And uh I'm giving it a a you know essentially an Emperor Dalek. And it's it's structurally I, I think it's a little different from what we even tend to expect from this era, because as you said, like the bad guys essentially win, don't even get any kind of comeuppance. Um, there's a little bit of like clearly Shakespearean structuring going here with, you know, a lot of stuff happening in throne rooms and uh, Machiavellian stuff going on in the background. Uh, again, Doctor Who does that occasionally, but this is, this is very, very kind of like a Shakespearean history lesson. Uh, mm. But I really give it points. I mean, they were really going for it here at this point in season one, and it really pays off. This is a right. this is a great, great episode, well remembered. Uh, but there's also probably a reason why you don't think to go back to it all that often. Mm. It, 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 it's it's just not as it, it's, it comes very close to being epic, but isn't quite there. All right, so so Emperor Dalek, that's your final question. Yep. Emperor Montezuma Dalek. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's the Montezuma Dalek. It's got a really good design. The, the little balls and stuff have like patterns on them and stuff. It's oh, so crazy. Now, I'm just figuring out. I'm just now imagining Dalek sacrifice where you just strap a Dalek down to a table <laughs> and like you just extract the uh, the mutant inside it, pull it out, and whoa. Whoa. Okay. Can you find the Dalek mass grave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My goodness, that is that is. Uh, I was I was going to say that's big finish, but no, that's an RTD call. Us. That's that's an episode right there, Dalek Boom. version of human sacrifice. Yeah, we're, we're just throwing out these ideas for free. You're welcome, Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say banger. I'm, banger! I'm wow, wear it a Viscount banger, and here's my reasoning. Okay. Uh, I I was thinking throughout it, and especially in the fight scenes. I was like, well, no, I can't rate. Like, it's a really good script, but I can't rate it a banger because fight scenes, right? Because they're just like crap 60s fight scenes. Yeah. Ian's not very good and the nerve pension and all of that. Here's why I can overlook that and give this banger status. Uh, I finished the Aztecs last night and it has just been in my head. It got in my head uh, by by ending it with, you know, the the bad guys who maybe aren't even, weren't even really the bad guys in the first place. One, and the good guys who weren't really even the good guys lost. And it's so mature and so thorny in its plot. Mm-hmm. Like it is it may be one of the most mature plots Doctor Who has ever done, I mm. think. And uh I'm I'm amazed that Lucarotti wrote it all on a boat. 
that that's that's pretty cool. We talked about we talked about recently a, a show in the seventies where he didn't write it because he was stuck on his boat and there was a postal strike uh, at the nearest uh, town. Uh, anyway, no, I big <laughs> big fan of what Lucarotti did here. Like I, 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 this is so good it all, almost makes me want to go back to Marco Polo. Right, because oh, nice. I famously yeah. gave that a fixed point of time, but now I'm like, no, Lucarotti can write. Like maybe I need to take another look at that. So, yeah, for 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 the for the fact that it will just sit in your brain and explode little bombs of thoughts throughout the day after you watch it, I'm I'm going to give it a Vicam banger. I think, yeah, I get you. It's definitely aged well. I think there's a certain amount of layering that we're sort of putting on it mm-hmm. that probably didn't quite occur to them like in other words with the canon of doctor who now very robust and spanning nearly 60 years it's 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 such a interesting thing uh to to that sort of goes against a lot of what we might expect of doctor who um but i think again i think that's sort of something we throw on in hindsight and with as sort of doctor who nerds wanting sort of that depth to be there i don't know if it's really there to begin with um so while i i see what you're saying i'm also like i don't i'm not i'm almost convinced to make it a banger but i'm I'm still sticking with my my emperor dalek just well, since we've been doing this lately we've i've got the uh rankings from doctor <laughs> who magazine yeah and this has been the essex has been remarkably consistent in that yeah. it has stayed at like number four number five in almost every poll since 1998 and it's still at number four so it's very high on the list. So it is very well revered, well remembered story, um, and a hundred percent on the uh, the Lucarati. Lucarati can write because boy but, can he! Right. Uh, we mentioned last week the Time Meddler is number two in that list. Is that correct? Time Meddler no? is now number two. It has risen, yeah, and uh, every time and was formerly number five, just behind the Aztecs, and now it is uh, overtaken it. Yeah, I, I've got to say, now I've seen them both, I think that is a mos- monstrous miscarriage of justice. Um, mm. I think there's no question that the Aztecs is the better story. And the time medal is good, but mm-hmm. it's pretty basic. And, you know, it's got kind of kind of crap Vikings in it. Like, you know, it doesn't have, yeah. it doesn't really respect the history of its own era the way yeah. that the Aztecs does. Honestly, for the costumes alone, it's better than right? the Time Meddler. I'll just punctuate saying what my kids thought of it. They really like the Aztecs. Like it really um, uh, got them. Got them. They really look forward to like seeing each night. We watched it actually over four nights, so that was nice. kind of fun too. With like that's definitely one episode per night. Mm-hmm. And even though it's it was a bit of a slow roll, like they they were into the first episode, but they were drawn more into it, which each, each subsequent episode to the point where they were really looking forward to um, finishing the story. And they mm. all really liked it. They liked the, the fighting. There was an interesting note that even the backdrops. So the matte painting sort of stuff that they did for the backdrops, which to us, I think is pretty obvious when as Dr. Who fans and seeing that stuff, they couldn't quite tell. They didn't really see it until they watched the documentary sort mm. of bit on the DVD and so, like you know, they they were they were so into the story that was being told yes. um, that they were they were fooling themselves into thinking that it probably looked better than it really did, which I think is a really good testament to again a great episode of Doctor Who. Absolutely, it does feel very theatrical as as a lot of TV drama did. But when you think about the fact that like they had basically one take 
right? Yeah. To, to do all of these scenes and they, they nail it and they, there's some really good close ups and, you know, it just really does engage you and you don't, you aren't drawn to think about the backdrops, you know, mm-hmm. being a bit rubbish. You do kind of paint in a lot with your mind. Um, so yeah, I'm right there with them. And I think that, that this is a good outcome for the Aztecs. I think the, the, it's, it's a banger Dalek hybrid. I think that's about <laughs> where it should sit. Um, but it definitely, it's going to sit higher in our final rankings than the time meddler. So take that Dr. Who magazine. Okay. <laughs> don't, sorry. Don't send your own Dalek death squad against us or, uh, or even your Aztec death squad. Um, but in case you do, it's probably time for us to run back into our time machine and find out where we're going next by activating the randomizer. That's right. Pausing only to pull in our pulley so that it isn't left behind us for our Dalek enemies to find. We enter the two components of the randomizer. The first one Pete has, it's the codex, which is the list of all of Doctor Who in sequential order. Indeed. And uh, Pete, how many stories have we yet to visit in our random adventure? Well, that would be 207 out of 302. So there are 302 total Doctor Who stories and we have 207 left to do. We are racing here, racing to get to that 200 point before Doctor Who returns to our screens and (laughs) adds more. Will we ever dip below 200? Wait and see. Uh, <laughs> uh, not for a while after once we get started. Not for a while. Not for a while. If we can get through just seven more stories before, whenever it is in November that we get the 60th uh, anniversary first episode of Star Beast, uh, which we don't know yet, right? We still don't have a date. Still don't have a date. They're, and still and if date. they're true to pattern, we probably won't know until November, right? Exactly what date it will be. Well, in the meantime, we will choose between, somewhere between uh, episode, story one, The Unearthly Child, and story 207 in, in our potential where to go, uh, which is The Power of the Doctor. Uh, and we choose, through the other part of the randomizer, random.org, the executor, which uses actual atmospheric randomness, atoms bouncing around the atmosphere, bits of the sun uh, falling to earth and embedding themselves in your heart. Uh, and that's that's how they achieve randomness. Uh, but we like to uh, we like to venerate the randomizer. We like to sacrifice one of ourselves, open up our hearts, as it were, metaphorically, and say, what what do our hearts really want from the randomizer? Hmm. From from the god of randomness, Pete. What uh, what is your prayer? Oh, you know, we've talked about it, and I'll just punctuate it. So we we talked about the McCoy era and how little we've done. But I would also emphasize uh, there, there are big swaths, uh, seemingly anyway, but a big swaths of Doctor Who we haven't done. In other words, there are deserts in our codex mm. where we just, there are big seasons we, we haven't done barely anything of. And so one of them is uh, Matt Smith's era. Even yep. though we've done, Matt Smith has a lot of stories, so we've done a fair share of them, but there are a lot of stories that we haven't done there, and there's a big stretch from Victory of the Daleks uh, to Curse of the Black Spot, which, of course, is our own curse. Uh, <laughs> I won't go over that again. Yeah. But there's a big, go, there's go big periods. For that. Yep. Yeah, big periods in our codex uh, that we don't have. So I'm saying, like, hey, give us either some McCoy or some Smith, please. 
I like that. I'm going to dovetail with the second part of that because I'm just going to make a naked appeal to the randomizers. Take us to New Who. And uh, let me tell you why I'm risking the wrath of the randomizer by saying that. It comes down to one word, BritBox. Three words, BritBox subscription increase. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> they are. You may have gotten an email like I have saying they're going up to eight ninety nine a month, yeah. uh, and you have to actually agree to it if you're subscribed through Apple. And I'm I'm not well disposed towards BritBox anyway for a number of reasons. We've talked about some of them the podcasts. Like it's really hard to go from story to story, and I have to go out, go back in. The menu doesn't make a lot of sense. I could not watch their content in the UK. Mm. Um, which is so weird nonsensical I, yeah right i because i'm subscribed to american britbox mm. so i could watch british but it just you know you gotta get your vpn clearer yeah yeah vpn in the uk to try and get into an american service to watch a british show it just anyway <laughs> so take us to new who so i can spend some time like maybe without a britbox subscription for a month that would be nice all right I don't know if that counts as a challenge or a tweet storm, but either way, we've got a couple challenges. It's either New Who or McCoy randomizer. So let us see what you have for us. All right. I'm going to give you a countdown. Four, three, two, one. I bring the Obsidian Blade down, and we're at 198. Oh, yay. We are at 198? Yes. That's pretty late. Yes. Oh, wow. I was just thinking about this story. It's Kerblam. Oh, wow. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Randomizer. Uh, Back to yeah. Jody Whitaker. Wow. The Randomizer really loves that TARDIS team, huh? <laughs> yeah. Didn't we? I mean, we've, we've had so much Graham and Yaz and Ryan. It's, uh, it's kind of unreal. We've also had a lot of Amazon deliveries, if you're like me. So very apt. We're one day going to get to this. Yeah. Uh, and that day is next week, folks. Yes. But in the, the meantime, is approaching. yes. Uh, in the meantime, of course, you can subscribe to this podcast or get someone else to because this is a podcast, everyone. This is Pull to Open. Uh, we have been your hosts, Pete Paschal. And your host, Chris Taylor. Please and follow us on Kablam Prime. Yep. Can follow us on all the socials. Uh, pull to open 63 on most. Pull to open on TikTok. Uh, thanks to Martin West for all our music, particularly the new History Corner stuff. Yes. Good stuff, my man. And uh, yeah, we want to get that Kablam man <laughs> and <laughs> possibly sacrifice him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, rip, we'll rip out his heart and find out if it is, in fact, a cardboard package with a lot of bubble wrap inside. All right, y'all. It's been for y'all. Take it easy. Find out soon. Take care, guys.